Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. set for us. You guys can find a seat. My name is Brad and my wife Shelby and I are part of the C3 Central leadership team. It's with great honor that I can say I'm a son of the house for close to 20 years now. I think it was 2003. Remembering back, my mother actually reminded me that you had a word for me back in the day about capacity. I don't remember it. That doesn't mean it wasn't a good word. I'm sure it was impactful. Got me to where I am today. But I did just want to take a moment uh, to honor both you, Pastor Lord and Pastor Kelly, and to thank you for being spiritual parents in this house. I know for myself, the journey and grace of God over my life, I wouldn't be where I am today without both of you. So thank you. We do have incredible leaders, and it's, it's a blessing to serve under their leadership and to serve under the leadership of their son-in-law and their daughter, Pastor Stephen Britt. Um, what a great week to serve here and share on capacity. I don't know why, as a teacher, I would say yes to the very last week of school where everything is due, and I was behind, of course, to say, yeah. Of course, roster me in. What are we speaking on? Capacity, even more perfect. I don't know about you, but we probably have seen the definition of capacity that talks about the ability to take on more or to carry more, the maximum amount something or someone can carry, the ability to deal with something. Often we use synonyms like ability and potential when we're comparing to capacity. And yes, those are defined terms. Those are aspects of what capacity is referring to. But I want to speak this morning that capacity is more about being than doing. I know for myself in my own life, I've connected capacity with the things I can do. Can I take on more? Can I spread myself out more? Can I, yeah, just carry more things to push those things forward? This morning, I want to speak on a story that we're all probably familiar with, even if we haven't read through the story, but that's the story of David and actually the story of David and Goliath. And so we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel 17. And in that story, we often think of the story of David and the giant, but I want us to think about it in a little bit different way this morning, and I'll get to that. But I just want to set the scene of what's happening here. In the first 30 verses of chapter 17, we see two armies. We see one on one hillside, the Philistine army, and another on the other hillside, the Israelites. We see a valley in between. We see two armies ready for battle where usually they would come together full force in the middle and fight. But in this situation, the Philistines decide we're going to send out our champion warrior. And we're going to have a call to say, if you have one champion warrior on your side, how about we battle it out in single combat? Rather than a whole bunch of people dying, our armies fighting, let's just have one-on-one 
Let the winner take all the spoils. Let the winner be the one in charge of the other people. Now, granted, of course the Philistines are ready to do this. They had a giant on their side. Goliath walks out, this huge in stature giant, striking fear into the Israelite people and the very king who was called to lead the Israelites. It says that when Goliath came out to challenge them, that they responded in fear, even to the point of kind of hiding or shrinking back. Saul was nowhere to be seen at the front of the army line saying, okay, who do we got? We can do this. The Lord is on our side. No, Saul was also in fear to the point that Goliath came out day after day after day and began to taunt the Israelite people, began to taunt them, and I would even say likely their God. Who is your God? Who represents you? Who is your warrior? Who can take me on? This is the scene, this is the context that David walks into. Now, David was not with the army. Three of his older brothers were there serving in the army. But it says that David was bringing supplies, likely food and some other supplies. It was likely that they could not provide for all the soldiers, so likely families, and David was a shepherd, so likely there were some things that they helped to resource the army. And so that's where David is. He's showing up. His dad has sent him to be kind of check out what's happening, but to provide some supplies. So David's just there, and he sees Goliath walk out and go through his normal thing of taunting the Israelites. It had been 40 days of this taking place, and David shows up, and he's like, this has been happening for 40 days? No one said anything? No one's done anything? And David starts talking to people. He starts having conversations. So many conversations to the point that Saul hears about this, and he's like, who's this guy talking about wanting to fight this giant? And Saul calls for David, and David comes into his tent. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 21. It says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Anybody grabbed a lion or a bear by its hair? Like, all of it? Yeah, we're in Canada. There's bears. I don't recommend trying it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, okay, now he's name calling, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I love this part. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. At first he was a little boy. Nope, you can't do it. To suddenly he's like, okay, you got this. But Saul still saw the way forward as equipping him as if he were to go fight. Saul puts on his clothes. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the, in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, I love the author here, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He was a little boy, but the author's like, this is a healthy, handsome little boy. Let's not forget that. God is with him. Pick him back up. 
got to refine where I was. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. The very day I will give, this very day I'll give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of, all of you into our hands. David knew how to talk the talk with Goliath. He's like, you might be bigger, but I got a mouth too. I can, I can rise to the moment. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, probably aggravated now, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Remember, David did not have a sword because he picked up Goliath. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off the head with the sword. Now it says he was already dead, so he didn't need to cut it off. I just think David was like, I need this head. And it says later in the story, he walked into Saul's court. Yeah, head dripping, but he's like, guys, if you forgot the, the giant Goliath taunting you, God's got this. Don't forget. I'm not forgetting. I'm reminded. God has slayed our giants. I think so many times we think of this story and we're like, okay, I'm the underdog. Okay, this thing's bigger than what I can take on. I can slay the giant too. And that is a great story, but that's not what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. What I'm actually going to be speaking on, my main point, is that capacity comes from a heart that's surrendered to God. So often we focus on David and the battle, but I believe, I know myself, lose sight of where was David before this to put himself in a place where he was faithful and ready because he believed in the Lord Most High would bring victory in this battle. What was David doing in the time before this to prepare him for the battle? I believe true biblical capacity one that is sustainable, that doesn't lean to burnout, comes from a surrendered heart. So what does surrender look like in your life? I know sometimes that looks like just laying something down. And you're like, oh, I don't even want to carry that anymore. Okay, God, thanks for letting me lay that down. Let's not confuse letting go or quitting on something with actually what true surrender is. For others, we're willing to lay something down, but then sometimes we're unwilling to pick that thing back up when God asks us to pick it back up. And even harder still, I would say, is something that we don't want to lay down for us to surrender that. There's a belief within us that we're going to pick it back up one day. But the challenge is what happens if God asks you to pick it back up and the vision that you had for it is actually different than God's vision for it. And when he asks you to pick it back up, he asks you to be obedient to the vision he's given for that thing, which may have actually been different than what you had in your mind when you laid it down. But in laying it down, he's been taking you through a process of reshaping your thinking, reshaping your priorities. That's hard for all of us to do. We're like, okay, yes, that thing I had to lay down, I'm getting it back. But many times it's not the same way because God's done a work in our life. 
But it's still challenging when we pick it back up. We remember those prophetic words over our life. We remember those things that were spoken. We remember those pictures that came into our mind of this is what it's gonna look like. But what if God has a different plan? Are we willing to surrender and pick up what he is asking us to pick back up? Capacity is more than adding more to our plate or being able to carry more. It is surrendering our heart and the things we are doing to the Lord. And now, I, I usually bring this analogy, I think trees are great. We always see farming and trees in the Bible, so there's, there's something in those illustrations. But when we're talking about a tree and making a tree healthy, in the pruning process, it's always easy to cut off the dead branches. You can see them, they're in the way, they're not growing, cut them off. In our own life, it's easy to surrender things of, that are dead. We've gave our best effort, we put all that we could into this and we could just see it's not turning out. It's time for us to lay this down. It's time for us to surrender and let go. We ran the race that God asked us to in that area. But it's harder when something's growing, when something's bearing fruit, for that thing to be pruned out. But actually in the pruning process of a tree, good branches, maybe there's too many in an area, for that tree to be healthy and grow properly, a pruning process has to take place. It's hard when the things in our life that we're passionate about, that even God's blessing is upon, when we're asked to surrender them and God actually prunes them out, that's hurtful. That's emotional. And emotions impact us. But are we willing to surrender to God's pruning in our life and trust him that he can bear fruit in a greater way when we surrender something he may have even asked us to step into? That's the challenging thing. Let's not forget that David didn't defeat Goliath due to his abilities as a warrior, but due to his trust in the abilities of God. We learn throughout the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. Time and time again, it comes back to that point. Now, David was flawed, and we'll touch, about, we'll touch on a few of those things this morning, but one thing that it always comes back to is his heart after God, his willingness to surrender, and I believe it started in these moments before the battle with Goliath. In the time as a shepherd, I believe David's heart was shaped to surrender to God so that he was prepared not only for slaying Goliath, but also to be called as God's anointed king. When we learn to be in God's presence, the things we do come from the fruit of who we are. I think so many times we think of like, oh, surrender, like I'm gonna serve more, I'm gonna do more things for God, and it's still doing driven. But if we can get to a place where in our surrender, we actually learn to be in God's presence, the natural outcome of our life will be fruit of being in God's presence resulting in doing the things he wants us to do. I think so many times we're like, well, I wanna look a certain way because that's the expectation of someone else for my life. And so it becomes this behavior modification. But the reality is God wants inner life transformation. He wants heart transformation, not behavior modification. That's where true surrender comes from. That's what, G what David was modeling for us. The word surrender means to yield to the power of another. And the reality is we all surrender to someone or something. The question is, what are you choosing to surrender to in your life? And if the answer is God, if we're just gonna go there, what does it mean to surrender and to be in God's presence? Well, I think there's some foundational things that we see from people in the Bible, as well as written about in the Bible, and more often than not, it comes back to being in God's word, knowing the truth of what his word says, and being in prayer that we can actually establish a relationship with Jesus. So being in his word and in prayer. 
We see a snippet of this, I believe, in Psalm 143, eight to 10. These are the words of David. He says, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. He recognized the importance of giving God each morning, spending that time with him. For I am trusting you, he says. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. He began to practice an action of surrender each day. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Church, a surrendered heart begins with yielding the little things in our life where we can grow to a place where we can learn to surrender our whole life. It can't happen in an instant. If anyone's tried to surrender something that actually means something to them, you'll know the tension, the struggle with that. But when we begin to surrender little things, we can build momentum. We can build to a place where we can learn to get to that place of surrender. I'll be very honest, I'm not in that place. God's been having me on a journey of constant surrender, and even in the last few months, an even deeper level of surrender. And I still feel like just a baby just starting to navigate the surface of what a heart of surrender means to God. So I feel as I, as I preach this message, I'm just beginning to get a revelation in what God is speaking. But I feel he was challenging me to push out and say, people's heart need to shift to me. It's not about doing, as we launch church again, as we come out of a season of COVID, it's not about just doing and going through the motions of things that they've been before. I need people's hearts surrendered, being in my presence, so that the church, the body of Christ, not a building, not a space, people who are followers of Jesus, the representation of God's bride, the church, is representing me. A surrendered heart yields to the word of God and the ways of God. But the only way for us to realize what the ways of God is, is to actually be reading his word, meditating on it, and navigating what is the character qualities of God. What are those attributes that we see within the Bible? Showing through historical figures in the Bible, showing through Jesus. And as we learn those things, we can begin to apply those things to our life. Yielding to the word of God means being changed from the inside out. As I'd stated before, it's not about this behavior modification of like, okay, well, this is how I'm supposed to look in church, and I'll go live this way. It's actually an inner transformation that the very person people see is truly authentically who we are because of that transformation that's taken place. We need to allow the word of God to take root in our heart and transform it. In Psalm 131, one to three, David said, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't condemn myself, or I don't concern. Not good to condemn either, but I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. I love this part. Calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me, O Israel. Put your hope in the Lord now and always. There is a maturation process that happened for David. And we're going to talk about that as well from the shepherd to the warrior to the king. This journey that David went on. This journey that God took him through. I remember myself, and I guess it links back to that word, when I was in my 20s and I was leading youth ministry. Maybe this is when you got the word. I was leading youth ministry. I was coaching two high school basketball teams. I was going to school full time to get my history degree. I was working part-time as the handyman at the church, and I was painting part-time to pay for that, and I was tutoring in school to make money. And I, I remember doing a lot of things, and it would make sense that I would get prayer for that in that time, but I learned in that time, like, okay, I can carry a lot of things. I also learned in that time that the more things you carry, 
the less depth you can put into the quality of what's being produced through those things. Now as I look at my life, I look at being a father, being a husband, the responsibilities within my family. I look at myself as being a teacher, the responsibility to my students and the, the community environment that comes within a school, as well as the church community, stepping into more opportunities of leadership and carrying the weight of what God has asked me to step into. And I do see that even though I'm taking on less things, there's an aspect that I'm carrying a greater capacity. There was a maturing that was happening within me. And so I always viewed that as capacity. That was like, okay, I could carry a lot of things or I could mature and carry less things but carry them better with more of a weight, with more responsibilities. That's capacity. If I got that figured out, I got capacity figured out. And as I was, before this month, thinking of what I was gonna speak on, it just really hit me, okay, that's what the world terms as capacity. That's often how we focus on capacity, but it's so driven on what you're able to do. And God just really spoke to me of my capacity that I have for you has very little to what you can do and what you're willing to surrender to me so that I can use you for the things I have. And so it just, it in many ways shook me up and I was like, I didn't know where I was gonna go with it. Always good to go to David. There's lots of good stories about him. But God was refining and reshaping something in me. Is there something more than incapacity than just thinking what we can take on? We know that's what people see on the exterior, but is it actually a refining within that grows our capacity? I believe that God desires to do something great within each of our lives, but I have come to learn that he is waiting for those who are willing to surrender their will to him. The great things that God's promised over our life, he's promised those things, but the choice is ours of what we need to step into. And if we do it in our own strength, we can still walk towards that, but we'll find that we face aspects of burnout where it becomes too much for us, where we do find ourselves having to turn back to God to say, God, why did you ever ask me to do this? It's way more than I could ever handle on my own. And God reminds us, well, I didn't ask you to do it on your own, even if you chose to do that. I didn't ask you to do it without me. I didn't ask you to do it without people, but I allowed you to choose to do it the way you did it. I like the heart of obedience stepping towards what I called you to, Will you take that step of obedience to do as I've asked you to do it? I know for me in this season, Proverbs 16 and 9 has been a very challenging word. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course. I'm definitely a planner. I like things organized, structured, planned out ahead of me. And I like to be in control of that plan. But the second part of that verse says, but the Lord establishes their steps. He's challenged me. Okay, you can take your steps and you can make your plan but I'm a part of this process. You can fight me on it or you can submit your will to me and the steps that I have for you, this promise that I have for your life, this promise that I have for your family, this promise that I have for my church that I've invited you to be a part of. Am I willing to surrender those steps to him? It's a challenging thought. The other verse that over the past couple of years he's been teaching me is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I remember applying for a teaching position and I thought I had a great interview and I was like, I got this and God's on my side. So of course that giant's gonna be slain. It's, it's my job. I've never not got a job in my life. This, this is where I was at. I got a call, I didn't get the job. Emotions, pff, wrecked. I was a mess. <laughs> I'd been reading this verse every day that week, trust in the Lord. And I look back at it. 
And that voice of God that you're like, God, is that your voice? I don't wanna hear that. He said, what does it mean to trust in me and not your ways? This was your way of figuring it out. What if it wasn't my way? So I began praying that verse every day after that, and I began to see the emotions of the weight of rejection, of hurt, of not getting that position begin to subside. It was one of the first times I feel that I actually experienced in the midst of a chaotic moment, God's peace carrying me while I was facing the chaos in front of me. Not when it had passed and I allowed my emotions to settle, when my emotions were at their heightened state to actually experience God's peace in that moment. In fact, as I look back now, I've been teaching for seven years, and when I've gone through the formal interview process, I've never gotten a job. And yet for seven years, I've always had a teaching contract. The weird thing is each time I apply for the job, I get told I didn't get it, and they say, oh, you had a great interview. And I'm like, did you just say that to everyone? They said they don't. But anyways, I get a call back. They're like, oh, there's a different job we have. You don't have to interview for it. Do you want it? And what I learned in this process is I like control, and God's not willing to give it up. <laughs> if I learn the lesson, it makes it a lot easier for me. But I realized in seven years, am I willing to trust God to be my provider? He does ask us to take steps of faith. I believe he asked me to apply for those interviews to take a step forward. I don't think I would have got those jobs if I didn't take the step and get rejected and not get the job. But he's shown me that I will always provide for your family. Just maybe not as you expected it to go. It's been a journey of trusting and believing God to be my provider. I've come to learn that doing things God's way is better than doing it my own way. And I don't know about you, but if you ever take on a project and you're like, I, I can do this, I can figure it out. Ikea, like, why do they even have a booklet? And you just, you put it together and you get to the end and you're like, why is this side, what's missing? And you realize you missed a piece, but you can't just change the piece then. You gotta go back to the beginning because the piece you miss is inside of everything else you put together and you're like, oh, maybe I should have followed the instructions from the first place and then I would have been well off. Well, I think many times that's our relationship with God. We get going through things and yep, we know what it looks like. God, you've asked me to step into this. And so we start going and we're like, I can figure this out. Thanks, God, pointing me in the right direction. And then we're like, uh, can you help me with this? And he's like, come on back. Let's look at the instructions. How many times would it better us to follow his leading from the beginning, to be surrendered in that moment? I know for me, I, I talked about reading the word and being in prayer. I love reading, and I think since I was, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, I, I would read through the Bible every year. I loved reading the Bible. Some people struggled just getting into the word. I, I never struggled with that. So that was something that was easier for me to pick up and to read and to be, establish a discipline for that. But prayer was something that has always been very challenging for me. I realized the importance of it. I recognize now more than ever the value of it. Is anybody married couples out there? Okay, I'm gonna, Shelby's not here, but she's got grace in these moments too. She thought like, I can identify what's happening in my wife's life and I can just tell her the things she needs to work on to solve the problem. Anybody? I mean, I know you're out there. That, that's me for sure. In God's grace, I recognize that this was a humbling experience. I feel like it was a month I'd been telling her, this is what you gotta do. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna let it go. And I began praying about it. Each day I would pray for her. You know what she did? She came to me and said, guess what God told me? She shares it with me. And my head said, that's what I've been telling you for a month. 
I didn't say that. I did think it. But God's voice was also in my head and said, see what I can do when you allow me to work rather than you trying to do the work in her life? A surrender and a submission to doing things God's way rather than our own way. I'm still working on that one. I have not got that one figured out. So any husbands out there, like it's a journey, but it is true. If there's something that you feel your wife needs to work on, don't tell her, pray. Submit it to God. Be amazed at what God will do and the revelation he brings when you trust your wife in God's hands rather than in your own hands. So this journey of prayer has been something that I've continued to try to challenge myself to step into. And I've been in a a men's group, Sean in the back. Love you, Sean. (laughs) We've been challenging each other to, to go deeper in our relationship with God. And there's been a few people I've been mentoring in this time. And we've been talking about a lot of things. And talk is great when it's talk, when there's action applied to some things that stretch you, it's difficult. And I remember having talks and going through things and establishing a discipline of prayer and remember God saying, I want you to get up in the morning, or it was more, what is stopping you from getting up in the morning to spend time with me to start your day? So I do, to clarify, I would get up every morning, I would read the Bible, I'd get ready for my day, I'd go through that process. But he was challenging me on prayer. What is stopping you from the very first thing, taking a moment to intentionally be in silence before me, quiet your thoughts, surrender everything that's coming in your day, all your, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, surrender those things and pray for certain people in your world. I said, well, that's easy. I hate the mornings. Getting up at seven is awful, so getting up at six to make this happen is even worse, so who wants to do that? Those of you who are morning people, God's grace is on you. I'm not a morning person. But I felt very convicted, not shamed, not condemned, convicted. What's stopping you? Yes, it was my own selfishness of I didn't want to do it because I hate mornings. I gave myself all the excuses. Well, I'm going to fall asleep anyways. If you really want me to do it, I'll fall asleep. Okay. But I got up and I've, I'm now over 100 days in a row establishing a dis- discipline of intentional prayer where I start every morning the time of silence. I'm also that person that I was like, if I need to get into pray, to prayer, Let's turn on the worship music. Let's let the the Holy Spirit vibes come and like the emotions come. And I'm like, music gets me into that place. We're being challenged in this season. Can you get to that place in silence? Nothing initiating that response, but the raw emotions and thoughts and everything that's happening to enter that place in relationship with God. So I start every morning with silence. I start every morning with, okay, thoughts come in, surrendering those things to God and then start strategically praying for people that God's asked me to pray for in my world. And then I do my Bible reading after that. And to be honest, there's some days that I'm like, God, did anything come out of this this morning? But he's showing me it's less about a feeling and more about the depth that's being established within you as you take simple steps, as you establish a habit that grows deeper within I love this verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'm one of those people that always speak Jeremiah 29, 11, so I know that verse really well, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He talks about a good future ahead of you, a hope for people who are about to go into captivity, about to go into exile. We know that verse. We may even know the following verse in Jeremiah 29, 12, where it says, when we pray to God, he will listen. 
But do we know the third verse after that? We, we want to hear, yes, you got plans for my life that are good. I pray and you listen. But do we want to follow those who look for me wholeheartedly will find me? Do we want the wholehearted aspect of it so that we get the plans God has promised and we can actually see him answering the prayers in our life? For me, that was a convicting verse that's reminded me that spiritual formation and an increased capacity to serve the Lord is established in our life only when we surrender to God. That's the starting point. That's the wholehearted pursuit of God. We've been reading through a book uh, by Henry Nguyen called The Way of the Heart. Now, spiritual disciplines may be great tools, but the goal of great tools is not to just use the tool to be in a routine. We need to use them to help us stay rooted in a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus. If the tool is not actually helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus, what is the tool useful for? Maybe it established a good habit in your life, but what is it producing? We need to find tools that actually bring us to that place, that establish that intimacy. So one of the things that I've actually really found helpful about his book is he's, he's had some simple practices around prayer. Those things were keep your prayer simple, have it to be unceasing, and all-inclusive. And so when we talk about simple prayers, we're talking about something that's not too wordy. I know, I, I think a, a longer prayer can have a season when you're praying for things, but I'm starting to rethink that. I feel like I am one of those people that when I pray, I'm like trying to think of all these great words or things pop in my head and like, okay, was that a good prayer because of the amount, I, the length of time I prayed for or the, the type of words I said? God's like, maybe. You could have said three words and it been just as powerful of a prayer. Depends on where our heart is in relation to that prayer. Depends on what the words are in season that God's asking us to speak out when we're praying more than us hearing our own voice. And so for me in this season, the prayer, and it was actually in the book, was, was just, Lord, have mercy on me. I found that in my, my day when I would be struggling and I'd be trying to battle through something and it was too much, I just pray, Lord, have mercy on me. And it would quiet my soul. It would bring me back to that time in the morning, okay, that, that time I was in God's presence. There'd be times when I knew I did something I wasn't supposed to, and I'd enter into something that was sinful, and I'd say, Lord, have mercy on me. And it would shift my heart back to God in that moment. Maybe for you, it's just, Lord, help. It, it's, it's something that stops you from where you're at in that moment of the anger is going to come in, the action that you don't want to take is going to come in. Lord, I need your help. But it wasn't just, just saying that and thinking God's just magically gonna do things. There was a habit established in those morning. But that simple prayer brought me back to that place, brought me back to that peace, brought me back to that place of experiencing God's presence. In his book, he said, uh, Henry Nguyen says, Lord, uh, sorry, easily repeated prayers can slowly empty out our crowded interior life and create the quiet space where we can dwell with God. It can be like a ladder along which we can descend into the heart and ascend to God. We can get beyond just our thoughts and saying words to our heart, but to a place within our heart where we can connect with God. He describes it as something like building a nest for ourselves. And I love this picture of it, that it's something that we can come back to. We've established something that's there, that it's our place with God. That wherever we're at in our day, whatever things we're experiencing, we can come back to that place. For me, that prayer, that simple prayer, was the thing that brought me back to that place. That morning was not just saying that, Lord, have mercy on me. Okay, I'm done for the morning. 
No, there was intentional time in that morning that was established, but as my day went on, that simple prayer, Lord have mercy on me, brought me back to that place in the depth of what God was doing. To build off of that, he says, pray without ceasing, but if you build off that simple prayer, there is something that you can pray through your day. For like, well, my prayer when I pray is a five minute long or an hour long pray and so, prayer, and so when I pray, that's how I do it. Otherwise, I don't do it. But what about if we had a simple prayer that throughout the day, we establish it? It talks about in the book that it actually being a prayer that goes from our lips that we're used to saying, that we verbalize to start, but over time, it becomes internalized within us. It actually becomes like our heartbeat. The very thing that when something challenging happens, it, we're not even needing to say the words, we just know, we can sense that that's what I'm praying. I need your mercy right now, God. This moment, it's too much. I surrender. And it's that check that brings us back to that place that allows God to enter into the situation with us that we cannot take on on our own. And we can get through it because then God's walking through it with us, but we've invited him in the process of doing that. The last part that he talks about is an all-inclusive prayer, continuing to build off of this. A final characteristic of the prayer of the heart is that it includes all our concerns. He states that when we enter with our mind into our heart and there stand in the presence of God, then all our mental preoccupations become prayer. All the thoughts in our head, all the things that are consuming our mind, are we willing each morning to surrender those things to God? He knows what we're going through. Are we willing to include him in the process to do that? That's the challenge. I believe, though, that it not only helps us, but it helps us invite other people into this place with us. I believe this was the journey of David. While not perfect in his life by any means, he did seem to navigate the heart after God excellently. He made lots of mistakes, but he came back to that point. I had spoken earlier about the metaphor of the tree. I think it's so important that our roots are something that grow deep and grow wide. You can be a great looking tree on the outside, but when the winds and storms of life come, that tree can get knocked down the roots aren't strong. In our own life, we could look like we got it all together, but if our roots aren't down deep into the things of God and his word and in that prayer life being established, we're gonna get knocked over. We're gonna get taken out when the storms of life come and they surely will come. In David's life, we see as the shepherd, he did slay Goliath, but it started with time spent alone with God that taught him a surrendered heart to prepare him for slaying Goliath. As a warrior, after that, he was the warrior before he became king. The incredible thing about David's story is that even when he knew he was to be king and he was God's anointed, he chose to surrender that. If we've read the story of David, we know that Saul relentlessly pursues him to kill him, and he has multiple opportunities to take Saul's life, but chooses to surrender that to God and say, God, not in my timing, in your timing. How many of us have had a relationship promised from God, a job promised? Are we willing to surrender to say, God, not in my timing, in your timing. I trust you still. It's been promised. David was anointed. He had to carry this. But he surrendered it to God. When God's ready to move on from Saul, I will be ready. Furthermore, we see as king, he grew to a place where he actually saw peace within the kingdom. 
But in this stage, even after committing adultery with Bathsheba, after holding a census to, I view it as him seeing the abilities of what he was able to do with his kingdom. In all of those moments, the pattern that's true is when the prophet called him out on it, David had a repentant heart. He had a heart after God that was willing to surrender when he recognized he was out of line. Now, David was a great example of surrender, but Jesus was the perfect example. We see in the story of Jesus that he actually spent time every day in prayer. He was in the word, he knew the word so well that he could just come in and quote scriptures. He could reveal to them the things they missed about how he was the Messiah. But what I love and what humbles me in Jesus' story is in Luke 22, 42. In a moment that Jesus knew what he was asked to do, he recognized that in the flesh, it was too much. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He chose to surrender for us. As I was preparing for this, I was listening to some songs and a song came across and I don't think I'd ever heard this song before. Maybe I had, but the words just really spoke to me. It's from Ryan Stevenson with lifted hands. He said, I have tasted all that this world has to offer, the here and gone that leaves you wait, wanting more, but can't satisfy. Father, forgive me for taking so long to see that you're all I need. With every heartbeat in my chest, Lord, I surrender all that I have. The days yet to come, the days in the past, I'm giving you all I am with lifted hands, with lifted hands. I do believe that learning how to establish practices that allow us to be in an intentional place, I'll just get the band to all come back up on stage. Intentional, an intentional place where we can be silent before God, we can create an environment of solitude, which doesn't mean we're removed from everything in life, but it remains a place where we can be in that presence of God, away from the distractions of life, and pull on that as we enter into the chaos of life. And that's where our prayer life happens, those intentional moments that we've established something where we've been willing to surrender. I just wanna end with this verse, and then I wanna pray for some people, and I want us to take a step to enter into maybe something that God's asking you to surrender in this season for what he's building within you going forward. But Jesus reminded them that times ahead were not going to be easy. In Matthew 24, 4, he says, Jesus himself warned us, take care that no one deceives you because many will come using my name and saying, I am Christ and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed for this is something that must happen, but the end will not be yet. For nation will fight against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes here and there. Many will fall away. Men will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise. They will deceive many and with the, with the increase of lawlessness, love in most men will grow cold. But those who stand firm to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We don't know when that time will be, 
Jesus is talking about the end times because the end times were right after Jesus. We've been in thousands of years of end times. We don't know when that time is, but the message from Jesus is the same. It is our task to stand firm to the end. It is our task to preach the gospel and to hold on to the grace and mercy that can be found in Jesus alone as our rock and foundation. I know that many people in this time of the COVID season have had many great causes for different injustices or different ways of being able to tell people this is what you should do for your life or this is what you should do to help protect other people. But I know for many of them, they became so consumed with those things, whether well-intentioned or not, that they actually led to a place where their life became shipwrecked and they, they don't even have a relationship with God. They've been so full of offense and hurt and lack of peace that the relationship with God's not there. And it hurts my heart that we can't, even in this moment, recognize that if we're willing to surrender our heart to God, He will help us navigate any season of life, especially this season of life, especially the season of life we've just walked through and any like it that come in the future. We're not the only generation that's faced challenges beyond what we can fathom and pushed us way beyond our comfort zone. But every generation has the opportunity to surrender their heart to God to a place where He can build capacity within them. As we close, I want people to come forward. We're gonna, um, we're gonna sing good grace together. I feel for some of us, we just need to take a step of faith. We need breakthrough in our world. We may not even know what that looks like right now, but we know there's something within that needs to be surrendered. Something that we've been holding on to, that we've been controlling. We need a different pathway forward, whether that be our business, whether that be relationships, whether that be education, whether that's seeing vision for our future. There's a lot of things, maybe it's healing. I want us to come and fill this altar. We're gonna sing this song. I wanna remind us of the song we sang earlier that was Make Room, because I love the words in it. We're not gonna sing that one, but it says, here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown, this is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt, this is my surrender. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Are we willing to make room for God? As I was listening this morning to Good Grace, there's, there's a part in this song where it says lifted heads. And I just felt this weight. This heaviness. That some of us feel we can't even look up to God because we feel too ashamed not enough we feel that we've let him down or we've let family down but I feel in this moment he's wanting us to push past that his invitation is always open to us and some of us need to take a step of like it doesn't matter what happened in the past it didn't matter what happened this morning you're here you're here in this moment are you willing to surrender and take that step to see God's breakthrough in your life are you willing to establish a discipline of intentional time in God's presence that will forever change your life as we sit sing this song. I just want people to come fill this area, a place of surrender. After the song, if you want to stay, I'll be here and there'll be a prayer time for prayer. I want to pray for you. But in this moment, I feel many of us just need to take a step. We need to allow whatever the chains are that are holding us back, the weight that some of us are carrying, feeling we have to do it on our own, to be broken off, to surrender it to God. So we're going to enter into this song. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.